0: Your Bibles please to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, we are studying about the filling of the Spirit. I've looked at, we've looked at the first part of the 18th verse in the last uh, couple of messages, and we use the first part of the 18th verse to talk about the evils of alcohol But as we were talking about that, I hope that I made very clear to you that that is not the main thrust of that passage. It's not the main teaching. The main teaching of it is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit means that we have to have some outside entity that controls us, not one that makes us despondent and gives us all kinds of unbridled passions, but one that leads us in the way that we need to go and makes our lives happy and gives us joy and fruitful and makes us the kind of people that God would have us to be. What comes next as we talk about the filling of the Spirit are the consequences of being filled with the Spirit. Because when God's Spirit comes and fills you, it will be evident. It will show that you have that filling. Uh, If you've ever noticed someone or... Watch someone speak very harshly or act irrationally. Sometimes you might say about that person, I wonder what got into him. Well, do you know that's exactly the way it should be when a person gets saved? The people that knew you before should look at you and say, well, I wonder what got into him because he doesn't act like he used to. He doesn't talk like he used to. Things are different about him. And that's what happens when you get filled with the Spirit. He takes over your life and then... It first becomes self-evident. You're aware of that yourself, and then it begins to show on the outside. Other people can tell it as well. Well, in the next verses that we're going to study over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the consequences of the Spirit's filling, how the Spirit is demonstrated. And in part one of the message tonight, we're going to talk about one of the ways that, the, that, that this is demonstrated. In part two next week, we'll pick up another one. And then in the third week of the study of this message, there's yet one more way in which the filling of the Spirit is evident. And that one starts us into a whole different set of teachings in the book of Ephesians. And so we'll talk about that as we go along. So let's stand, if you would, please. We're going to look at the verses tonight, beginning in uh, ch- uh, verse number 18 of chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you might bless the message tonight. We just pray, Lord, that you would make everyone receptive to your word. May we learn something. May we honor you in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Part number one of the message tonight, what we're going to talk about, is the inward experience of filling. The inward experience of filling. And this first part of the message concerns a very controversial topic in in churches today. You might wonder, well, why do we spend time with this? And aren't there more important things that we could talk about? Well, tonight we're going to talk about music, and that is a very important part of, of our church life, of a personally, and it's something that we definitely do need to discuss. Now, Paul is mainly talking about the inward experience of filling, and you can see how that when you start to talk about music, that that not only uh, speaks to your heart, and that's something you need to talk about that happens on the inside... But you can see very quickly that that's going to affect things on the outside. And uh, uh, music is very important for us, how it affects us inwardly and outwardly. And in verse number 19, Paul says that this is in our hearts making melody to the Lord, but we're to express it outwardly, outwardly in the way that we praise and worship God publicly. And the apostle tells us here that the spirit-filled life will be a life that's full of music. Joy is expressed in the heart, and he says here it comes out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Of course, the largest book of the Bible is the book of Psalms, and as we've studied before, that was a book, or the psalms that are there, were intended to be sung. Not just spoken, not just read, but those are things to be sung. I mentioned in an earlier message that there were people such as John Calvin who believed that the only songs that you could sing in the church were things that came right out of the book of Psalms, and he was against using anything else. Well, I don't think that that's the only thing that we can sing, and I think that God has gifted... Men and women, good songwriters with good biblically based hymns that we can sing that do honor the Lord, and I do believe that ought to be a part of our worship services. Now, first of all, we're talking about singing, making melody in the heart, but this affects the whole church, the kind of music that we use. Now, I think it's also worthy for us to point out here that Paul puts this singing making melody, hymns, psalms, and so forth at the very top of the list of the things that demonstrate the filling of the Spirit. And we notice very quickly here that Paul does not say, here's how people will know that you're filled with the Spirit. All of a sudden, you'll begin to speak with unknown tongues. You'll speak in an ecstatic prayer language that nobody will be able to understand but you and God. I don't see that here. That's not the first thing that he says is going to demonstrate the filling of the Spirit. We do read this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad... So anybody who thinks that speaking in tongues, that's the primary or is the evidence of the Spirit's filling, they really need to look at this passage in Ephesians and see just how closely the words here, filled with the Spirit, are to speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the Spirit is demonstrated, the filling of the Spirit is demonstrated through the music that we sing. Now, I want to take just a few minutes in the part, this first part of the message to talk about music, and we're going to do that under three headings. First, we're going to talk about the functions of music. What has God given us, given us music for? What's the purpose of music? Well, I think the chief reason that God has given us music would be for his own glory. We do know that everything that God does in one way or another, if God's given it to us, it's going to come back for his glory and for his honor. Everything that God makes does that. Now, music, as far as we're concerned, it can lift us. It makes us happy and contemplative. Music can even be mood altering. We enjoy music, it's good for us, but chiefly, music is for the glory of God. So, we could say this first about music that we've been given music by God for worship worship to God. That's the first thing that God's given us music for. And the purpose here is evident in the end of verse number 19, because Paul does say, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are to be sung as we make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And the expression there is, to the Lord. And so whatever it is that we sing, or whatever kinds of music that we make, it has to be a God-honoring music. That's important. So it's amazing sometimes when you just read the Psalms, go through that. And as I said, those were intended to be sung. But if you read through the Psalms, you see that all of the Psalms are odes of praise to God. And it doesn't make any difference whether it's a happy song, a psalm, or whether it's a sad one and a melancholy one. There's always that element there that there is praise to God in those Psalms. Well, Christian music ought to be identifiable as Christian music. And so that means that there must be a different sound, there must be a different purpose for it, because our music is to the Lord. And so it has to be evident then that the words and the melody and the music that we use are different from the sounds that you hear in the world. If you read the book of Psalms, you have to be aware of the many, many times that the Bible calls the song that's been given to a Christian a new song. And of course, that differentiates it. From the old song, the way that we used to sing, we've been given a new song. In Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3, the writer says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with the loud noise. Psalm 40, verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. The book of Isaiah says, Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. And then the book of Revelation speaks about a new song that will be sung in heaven. And this is a song that's sung by the redeemed. Revelation 5 verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Our songs are songs of worship. And so they can't be the same old songs that are sung by the world. Well, the plain truth of the matter is we worship a different God than the world worships. If you listen to the music of the world, what do you get from it? You get their morals, or I might say the lack of morals. You get that. You also get their attitudes. You get their standards. And folks, whenever you try to mix the sounds of Christian music with the sounds of the world, you're going to end up with chaos and confusion. Now, today, the popular thing to do is, with Christian music is to make it like the world's music in order that it might be attractive to lost people. First of all, I'll say this. Nowhere in the Scriptures are we told that music is evangelistic. Music is not the means by which we are to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not our chief means. The preaching of the gospel is for evangelism. Music is for worship. Now, is it possible that we can uh, set the words of the gospel to music and it would be powerful and move people and people could be saved by it? I certainly think that is possible, but that's not the chief end of music. Music is to worship God and the preaching of the gospel is for evangelism. But we find many people who try to use music as as uh, their means of winning the loss. But God never said... Make your music like the music of the world in order to attract them. He hasn't told us to do that. So what happens then when entertainers and the Christian entertainers, you know, when they, when they uh, want to put the gospel to rock music and other types of music and things that will wildly excite the senses, really all that they do is confuse the gospel message. They detract from the gospel message. When entertainers become the ones who are the teachers... Of, of, of the gospel of Christ through music, then what happens? They take over the position of pastors and teachers. And, and not only that, but if you read the words of these rock music style, entertainment style, gospel music songs, you know what you have? Messed up theology. It's usually all messed up. It's not right. The name of Jesus is dragged down, and the gospel is cheapened and trivialized. Now we wonder why is it that God's people would ever want to take his music, God's music, and set it down to the music of the world or the rhythms of rock music. One commentator said this, and I believe he's absolutely correct about it. He said, rock music, with its bombastic atonality and dissonance, is the musical mirror of the hopeless, standardless purposeless philosophy that rejects both God and reason and floats without orientation in a sea of relativity and unrestrained self-expression. Wish I'd written that. That was too pretty for me to write. The music has no logical progression because it comes from a philosophy that renounces logic. It violates the brain because its philosophy violates reason. It violates the spirit because its philosophy violates truth and goodness. And it violates God because its philosophy violates all authority outside of self. Putting a Christian message in such a musical form does not elevate the form, but degrades the message to the level already established in the culture by that form. I want you to think for just a minute about what will the music in heaven sound like? What, 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 that, what would that music in heaven sound like? What if you took this song here in Revelation chapter 5, the song of the redeemed, it says, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and redeemed, redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Do you think that you could take those words and set them down to, I can't get no satisfaction? Do you think that would work? i don 't think it would why is it that we want to put the lord's music to any kind of dissonance? What is rock music? Well, we know this it 's not the lord's music, and don 't even get me started on the christian rap there 's no worship in that style I mean why why would we want to do this? Why would we want to take god 's music and, and the same kind of music and put it to the same kind of of tempos and beats and the same type of music that rap stars use and and rockers use, people who smoke dope, who run around with gangs and with hoods, who drive people insane by driving up and down the road, pounding it out, you know, car windows rattling everywhere. Why in the world would we want to put God's music to that? That doesn't make sense. That's not Christian music. It destroys the gospel. And I'll tell you something I've never found People who like that kind of thing, and they think that's the way to reach people, and oh, we're so God honoring. I have yet to find even one of them who's Bible believing and theologically correct in what they do. They don't know anything about the gospel, and this is just that type of music. Just tells you that they don't know what they're doing when it comes to setting God's music down in a way that needs to be heard and and taught to people. But not only do Christian entertainers use that, but churches have incorporated it into their methods of evangelism. They say, let's attract attract the crowds. I mean, if we use this kind of music, then the teenagers will come, the college crowd will come, because this is their kind of music. And you know, you've answered the question right there. This is their kind of music. It's not God's music, it's their kind of music. But that's what churches do. And it should be simple enough for us to figure out because if a church becomes so attractive to people who know nothing about about Christ, know nothing all about Him, their hearts are filled with darkness like it says here in Ephesians, their hearts are as black as hell, and we attract them with something, that must tell us that that's totally and wholly worldly and the exact opposite of what God intends or what the Scriptures uh, intend for us to use to reach people. What did Jesus say about light? He said in John chapter 3 verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. And so if all of a sudden lost people become attracted to the music that's in the church, then lost people are not attracted to the light, are they? Lost people are not attracted to light. And so if you're using a music that attracts people, it can't be music of the light. It can be very hard to understand, is it? What happens when when God starts to work in the heart of a person, the Holy Spirit grips that person's heart and the sovereign God leads them to salvation. And he doesn't doesn't do that by using the devil's ploys and his techniques. So the function of music is for the worship and glory of God. It's not to fill up the sensual appetites of man. But there's also another function for music that we find in our text. Music also functions for the fellowship with others. The construction of verse number 19 in the King James Version might lead us to be a little bit confused about the congregational aspect of singing. Now, what the King James Version is technically correct, but we could be a little bit confused because it kind of looks like there that this is something that you do just to yourself. I mean, you, you, you're making melody in your heart. It doesn't, it doesn't really reach out, and we're not talking about congregational forms of music. Well, we can clear that up right quickly by a parallel passage that Paul writes, and this is in Colossians chapter 3. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We find the congregational aspect of singing many times throughout the Old Testament. Go all the way back to the time of Moses when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He brought all the people together and they began to sing a song about their deliverance. In Exodus 15, verse 1, it says, then, uh, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. In the tabernacle and the temple worship, singing was used. Remember, when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, that the people sang as they marched around the top of that wall. Jesus and the disciples, when they met to observe the Last Supper, do you remember what happened at the very end? The Bible says that they sang a song. And at the end of every Lord's Supper observance, I either read from Matthew twenty six thirty or Mark fourteen twenty six that says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so every time after we finish the Lord's Supper, we always sing Amazing Grace. And we sing because we're in the audience of God's people. And the audience for our singing is not the world, it is God's people. I mean, find to hear anywhere where it says that we're to sing among lost people. We can't do that. You know why? Lost people don't know how to worship the Lord. You can't expect them to sing songs of worship with you when they don't even know the Lord. And this is why singing is to be uh, uh, among God's people. Now, singing is very important because it prepares us for other types of worship. I love singing before the preaching because singing prepares us for the sermon. It gets us in the right mood for what we're about to hear. Singing comes to us at a time when we might be burdened down with all kinds of troubles in our life. But God's able to lift those burdens through singing. People are happy when they sing, and that helps to lift the burden of their heart. I think about Paul and Silas when they were in that Philippian jail. They'd been beaten. Their feet were put into the stocks. I mean, they went through some pretty tough times there. They were chained up. And the Bible says at midnight they were singing. And I have to think that they must have got some joy from that and some comfort from it. In other places, in Acts, it tells us that the disciples, when they were beaten, when they were uh, punished, cruelly, uh, cruelly dealt with because of their preaching, it says they went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So the first function of music is for worship and then for, it's our, for our fellowship with one another. But now let's go on here. Let's talk for just a moment about the forms of music. Musically, music basically comes in two forms, I should say. And singing, singing, of course, is the vocal expression of music. Now let's notice something here. Verse number 19, the Greek word for speaking there, speaking to yourselves, is the Greek word laleo. How many of you remember from school what onomatopoeia is? fifth graders, there's one. Onomatopoeia. <laughs> Onomatopoeia is a, an onomatopoeic expression is a word that makes the same sound as what you're trying, trying to describe. For instance, the word buzz is an onomatopoeic word because when you say buzz, it sounds like what you're trying to describe. You remember um, uh, Batman. You watched Batman, t- Batman on television years and years ago and when Batman and Robin were fighting, you'd see the words flash across the screen, screen. Wham! Pow! Crash! Those are onomatopoeic words. Well, that's what this word laleo is, because it sounds like what he's trying to describe here. So it's sort of like la-la-la-la. When an, when an opera singer tunes up, they start out with la-la-la-la. If you get here early on Sunday morning, Gary's doing that every morning, every Sunday morning. La-la-la-la before he gets started. Well, singing is the vocal expression. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the vocal expression of music. Is that even if you sound like Jeff Chambly, that's okay in God's eye. He's not here tonight, so I talk about him. Even if you, even if you sound like Jeff, I mean, that's okay. Now, it, it, now if, I'm, if I'm standing next to Jeff, that makes a huge difference. But to God, it makes no difference at all. So I guess you can say that Jeff's on a much higher plane than the rest of us. I mean, when we're singing in church, we try to, you know, try to uh, make it all sound real really good, and we just haven't yet reached Jeff's level. He's up there with God. He's singing on a totally different plane. But the point here is, you don't have to be an opera star. You don't have to be a professional singer to please God with singing. You don't have to be that. Now, here's something for sure that a person who can't carry a tune on a barge is a far better singing singer than the very best singer who has no idea at all what he's singing about. I mean, I would rather be among God's people, even if none of us could carry a tune in the bucket, I would rather be among God's people who have a heart that love God than to be among people, professional singers, Hollywood's crowd, whoever it is, to sing these songs. They have no idea about the God they're singing about. They have no idea about the message they're singing about. They sing Amazing Grace, and that's really popular. The old rugged cross, they sing all of those things, and they have no idea even what that means. Well, it really doesn't make any difference what we sound like. You could could have a perfect voice. You can be so precise that you could tune a piano with your pitch. But in God's ears, if you don't know him, that's like a foghorn. Now, the thing is, though, you could be a foghorn, a.k.a. Jeff Chambly, And that would be very pleasing in God's eyes, to God's ears, because that's from a heart that truly loves the Lord. So singing's the vocal expression of music. But there's also the instrumental expression. Music that's played from instruments is also pleasing to God. And so when we have the ladies like uh, Lucy and Melissa, Catherine who are on the keyboards, Diana who plays the violin and flute, uh, Jose and Brian and uh, Jeff back there that play guitar and, and other men, Gary on trombone, when they are playing then that's pleasing to God, because that comes from a heart who really loves the Lord. If you look in the Old Testament, they use many different types of musical instruments, harps, trumpets, cymbals, other instruments of worship. But when the church age came along, really not long after the first century, uh, people got the wrong idea about musical instruments, and they resisted the playing of musical instruments in the church for for many years. The prevailing opinions of some people, like uh, those that are in the churches of Christ, better known as Campbellites, now they weren't around way back in that, they didn't come along to the 19th century, and primitive Baptists, some of those, uh, they they think that what the Scripture is talking about here is the instrument that used use is the voice and not a physical instrument like guitars and pianos and all these different kinds of things. So they don't allow musical instruments in their churches and in their defense, I have heard some very beautiful a cappella music that comes from their congregation. But I think they've got things mixed up. Way back when, when the organ was first introduced into church, that was about the 7th century, and it was very strongly resisted. I mean, there were a lot of people who thought that having an organ in the church was akin to having the devil himself there. But eventually that became accepted and organ music uh, was used. Then when the piano came along, uh, same thing. It was resisted, but then finally the piano gained acceptance. And we find with different instruments, some, some churches just don't like, since there's a piano and an organ and those kinds of things, they won't accept anything else. Well, really, it's not the musical instrument itself. You, you, you could never say that a musical instrument itself is either godly or ungodly. We could use all the musical instruments there are, as far as I know, and they can be used in a very godly manner. But they can also be used in an ungodly manner. Now, I I personally don't believe that there's anything wrong with having drums in a church. But if drums were to take over the message of the song and drums take over what we're trying to get across and they overshadow everything else, then they would become an evil thing. And I've been in churches where they've got drums and they have to put up plexiglass in front of them because the drummer gets back there and goes wild and crazy and just drowns everything out. And so they try to cover all that up. Well, the musical instrument itself, that's not the evil thing. It's whether you use that thing for the honor and glory of God and use it in the right way. In no case should any music, instrument as far as I'm concerned, especially when we're using it with, uh, with vocal music. It should never overshadow the message that's being proclaimed, and we should be thinking more about the message than actually about what we're hearing. Well, let me give you another quote that I thought was really good. Uh, this author said, "...the pulsating rhythms of native African music mimic the restless, superstitious passions of their culture and religion." The music of the Orient is dissonant and unresolved, going from nowhere to nowhere with no beginning and no end, just as their religions go from cycle to cycle in endless repetitions of meaningless existence. Their music, like their destiny, is without resolution. The music of much of the Western world is the music of seduction and suggestiveness, a musical counterpart of the immoral, lustful society that produces, sings, and enjoys it. Well, music is very important to us. And in our church, what we need to be very careful about is that our music does not degenerate to the place where we drag the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through the muck and the mire. We, we don't want to drag down the gospel, and we don't want to drag down the name of Jesus. And so we have to be very careful that we keep the right kinds of forms of music. So we have the functions of music, we have the forms of music, and we're going to finish up quickly here tonight with the focus of music. The focus of music, very clearly, is not us. Music is not for our entertainment in the church. That's not why we have it. It's not so we can have fun at church. And we're not interested in drawing a crowd to Berean Baptist Church because we have one kind of music or we have another kind of music. We don't want people to choose Berean Baptist Church based on the kind of music that we have. And I have seen this happen so many times that people don't care at all about whether the whole counsel of the Word of God is preached, that's not interesting to them. What's interesting is the kind of music that you use. And if the music doesn't excite them and do something for them and and uh, get them all wild and in a frenzy in, in, in that way, then they're just not happy with that church. And so they go find one that may even preach a false gospel, maybe not preach the gospel, any kind of gospel at all, just so they can hear the music. Well... That's wrong because the focus of music is not us. We don't come here to feel good about music. We come here when we use music for the honor and the glory of God. It needs to exalt him and not exalt us. I still appreciate something that Pastor Cregan used to say. He said, whatever happened to the time when you could just preach the word... And people who loved the Lord would come to church to hear the Word preached. And you didn't have to have all the programs and all the entertainment that goes along in churches today. People were just interested in the Word. If you go back and you look at the history of America with the first and second great awakenings, there were people that uh, wanted to come to church. The churches were filled. You couldn't get any more people in. And they were interested in hearing the Word of God preached. But it's not that way anymore. I mean, churches today have become so shallow that if you don't have a dog and a pony show, then you're not going to attract people to church. And so you have all these churches that think of all these schemes to get people to come. Many of the big bus ministry churches have their clowns and their circuses and all of those things to get people to come to church. Some of our Baptist churches promise that you'll get a door prize if you come. We'll give you cookies, we'll give you pies, just about anything if you'll just come to church. Well, I'm not opposed at all to using means to reach people. But if we ever get the, the feeling here that we've got to have all this other stuff and the sovereign God is not capable by himself of drawing people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have seriously got things mixed up. The gospel is what we do to bring people in. And all this other stuff, we don't need all of that. It, it's, it's not pleasing to the Lord. So the focus of music is not us. So that means that every song that we sing ought to have good, sound, biblical words. It ought to have a correct theological message to it and one that honors God. And that's why in Berean Baptist Church we use the old hymns The ones where you can still read them and you can get good, solid theology out of them. So, you know, uh, there there are so many hymns that we sing that a person can just read the words and they can get the gospel of Jesus Christ out of it. I think of that one song, One Day, that's one of my favorites. And and the chorus, it says, Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever forever. One day he's coming, O oh, glorious day. How many facets of the gospel do you have right there in that one chorus? And we're out here singing dippity-doo, dippity-doo, and all these other kinds of things. Here's something I think might interest you. I was reading this the other day. Uh, this was about some new kids songs that were being introduced into a church. And uh, maybe, maybe we could teach our kids this song. Potato chip, potato chip, crunchy, crunchy. I love Jesus, a bunchy bunchy, peanut butter, peanut butter, creamy, creamy. I hate the devil. He's a meany, meanie. Those are songs that people are actually using in church. Now, the person who wrote this, I, I know that he had a bone to pick with the big, big bus ministry churches that use all the gimmicks. And so he proposed a second verse to this song. And he said, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, sippy, sippy. I love my church. It's so dippy, dippy firecracker, firecracker, bangy, bangy, come ride my bus, it's so clangy, clangy. And that's what we get out of much of modern songwriting today. It has no message, no theme, no gospel, nothing to it at all. And I don't think the Lord's pleased with that. We, we need to sing songs that have that good biblically-based message to it that really honors God. Now, let's sum up with this last statement. Music that honors our Lord will also bless his people. Now let me tell you what I'm thinking here. If, if you believe this, that in order to get the Spirit's filling, that you've got to go to a church where you can be entertained, and you can't get the Spirit's filling unless you have a rocket show, and a smoke machine, and lattes in the back for your sipping pleasure, then you need to get your heart right with God. And when you do, you'll find this out, that the music... When the music and the lyrics of songs magnify Jesus and lift up Jesus, they will also lift up you. If your heart is right, they will lift up you. And all this other stuff, it leaves you empty and hollow. These people, they've got to come back week after week to hear that kind of junk, and, and they get it on the spot, charged up on the spot, but it never lasts, it never does any good, it leaves them empty and hollow. I'll tell you what, you, you'd be just as, well, just as well off to go to a Giants game on Sunday instead of going to church, and, and at the seventh inning stretch, get up and sing, take me out to the ball game, and you'll get as much spiritual benefit out of that as you will that you get in some of the churches today. Here's the thing about it, folks. Music is very important to us. Paul says this is the number one thing that he put up right up front with the Spirit's filling, right next to be filled with the Spirit, is singing, making melody in your hearts, hymns, songs, spiritual songs, all of that. That's how you demonstrate the Spirit's filling. And if you don't have that right, then you don't have the Spirit's filling. That's one of the ways that it's demonstrated. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word tonight. Help us, Lord, that we might understand very clearly what you expect from us. Lord, may we be very concerned about the music that we sing, whether it honors and lifts you up. Lord, give us just give us a message in song that will lift our hearts as we worship you. So we just ask you, Lord, be with us in this invitation time tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we sing.